Hello and welcome to Arts Talk Radio. I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. An important exhibition by a famous English artist has just opened at the Moritz House in The Hague, and our reporter Zoe Bass went along to find out more. But first, I got on the number one tram and went to the end of the line to hear some gypsy jazz. I'm in Scheveningen. I, can you say that for me? Scheveningen. Correct. <laughs> at the Lourdeskirk, and I'm with Sandro Bruti, and we're at one of his uh, Casa Lourdes uh, evenings, which is gypsy jazz. But I want to talk to Sandro about next weekend, which is the big St. Patrick's Day festival. And you're involved in that. What exactly will you be doing? Well, it's the biggest St. Patrick's Day celebration on continental Europe, on the Hague's Grotemarkt, some around seven, 8,000 people with a very big lineup of musicians and bands from well, all over mainland Europe and Ireland and all the dancing, Irish dancing schools. And uh, they asked me just right from the beginning, years ago, to invite the proper traditional Irish music part. And uh, over the years I combine it with uh, a dram tune, that's the name of the foundation, uh, a dram tune whiskey tasting. So we have our own first floor in the Blaue Kamer, in the blue room above the Hoender and Hop. So downstairs on the square there is a big stage with lots of music and dancing from noon of till 10 o'clock in the evening. And I will have an evening program with Dramtune and have four wonderful musicians from the west of Ireland, from County Mayo and Galway, uh, and have a big table with a big variety of single malt whiskey, Irish and Scottish. And it's 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 all sort of Irish music. It's it's Irish folk. It's Irish rock music. It's everything. Yes, I, I mean it, it's it's almost well a good ten hours of entertainment. And of course, they have all the Guinness stands, and they have also the stews and. It's one of the best organized Horeca organizations. So one day, when they do something, they do it very well. And I am very pleased because they don't need me. They have enough whiskey and they have enough sources and resources. But still, they know that Dremtune has a, a very close link to Ireland and to Irish music and to whiskey also. So they just wanted to integrate it as a part for the real Irish feeling in that sense, the real Irish music and whiskey. Of course, I bring maybe 30, 40 different types. So it's uh, the Blue Room will be a quiet oasis in midst of all the Irish madness that day. And what's your main interest, the music or the whiskey? Myself? Well, it's, it's, it's the, the combination makes it really like heaven. So I would say uh, for whoever comes up, it's free entrance. And I'm very glad to see Irish friends and, and chant people that come up that stairway. And, uh, and, and with the whiskey and everything, it will be a very, very, very nice, pleasant evening. Because you have quite a strong connection with um, Ireland and with Scotland. Yeah. I think you visit quite often. Yes, yes. I fell in love with Scotland first, and then I discovered the west of Ireland and the music and, and of course, the whiskey, but the nature, the history, the everything. So uh, for over 20 years, 
Ireland and Scotland are really part of my soul and I am very delighted that I can bring over a lot of wonderful Irish musicians to Holland and to Italy, my father's home country, and have Italians visiting not only Holland but also Ireland and, and see all these crossovers happen. But it seems a strange thing for an Italian living in The Hague to be interested in Irish music. How did you discover it, first of all? I'm from my father's part in Italy, from a, a, a farmer family, and they always told me about, um, uh, well, the, the, the beautiful music nights in, in these poor farmers' houses where there was dancing, and dancing was, of course, the, the, the ultimate way to come close to a girl or a boy. And so traditional music was fundamental for for everything, for love, for, uh, for for creating families, for being together. And I found that feeling and that energy uh, very strongly in Ireland. And it made me think of the Italian history and Italian things that I heard, the stories from my uncles in the back in the days. And in Ireland, it's still alive. That's the most beautiful thing. They still have strong uh, um, boundary with their own background and the music is their identity and that's a very beautiful thing to discover but it was uh, uh, love at first sight. I, uh, Scotland was my first love but musically in Ireland my heart opened and I saw the beauty of genuine music played by young and old people in every occasion. Amazing. Fantastic. Okay, we'll look forward to that. And that is on the 15th of March. Yes. And I think it's all day. It starts about one o'clock or midday. Uh, yeah, it will be, let's say, around one o'clock. And there will be food everywhere. And it's very well organized. So the whole square will be one big Irish party and, uh, and a very nice one. I can say after six, seven years that I experienced that. Well, let's hope the weather stays fine for that. Thanks very much indeed. My pleasure. Sandro Bruti. My pleasure. I've come backstage at the Lourdeskirk and I'm in the dressing room where Gypsy Jazz multi-instrumentalist and singer Char Limburger and the other musicians are just about to go on stage. A few minutes ago I spoke to Char and I wanted to know what to expect from tonight's concert. Was it going to be like the Hot Club de France with Stefan Grappelli and Django Reinhardt? Uh, well, that is one of the things that I do, yeah. Uh, this, let's say that's the world in which I grew up most because my my dad was playing that style, Django Reinhardt's music, and uh, all the people around me. But there was also New Orleans and there was some Eastern European memories of Eastern European music. And because of or thanks to those <laughs> memories, I went to explore and learned Hungarian and Romanian, went to Hungary, studied for a year and a half and still study that kind of Magyar Nota, which is like chanson hongroise. Mm -hmm. And I lived in Transylvania and I played still with some musicians from that region as well. Learned, later I learned Greek and um, we will even play some Greek music tonight and some Romanian things, I guess. We might play some Brazilian things, some own compositions. Yeah. So, so it, it, what you're trying to say is it's difficult to define you, difficult to put a label. I guess, it. yeah. But you're Belgian, I think. I am. I'm half Flemish, half Manush. Manush is gypsies from Western Europe. Sinti or Manush is the same oh, okay. people. 
So that's the connection. That's how you get started. You got started through your parents playing. Exactly. And you must have started very young. Oof, I when I was one year and a half, the sleeping ritual for me to go to bed was that my mom would have to put an album. It was these LPs still of flamenco. And I would, I would, uh, that that I wouldn't fall asleep to it. I would listen to it, and then I would agree to go to bed. At a year and a half old. Yeah, that was my, that was my, and then so I wanted. Are you sure that's true? Not something you just read in the paper. No, no, no. That's that, I remember that. Maybe I was, not, but maybe I was two or two and a oh, half. Okay. I mean, I, God knows. But I mean, I was very small. That was like one of my fa- first memories. So I imagine this was the music that your parents played around the house. That was there was that as well. Yes, because my dad liked to go to Sainte Marie de la Mer, which is a. It's a it's I know a, it well. Uh, okay, pelgrimage of, and it's, it's where all the gypsies go in. In what is it? Catholic August? gypsies in yeah. May. In May. May yeah. So uh, no, yeah, and so my dad would go there and. Um, it's it's not real flamenco. It's a kind of copy of like also kind of a memory of flamenco without the sort of Camargue, Camargue, um, yeah, okay. Camargo flamenco. You could say yeah. Catalan, and and um, that was the first music that I really liked. I I wasn't into Django Reinhardt style then. Like when I was three, I remember my dad would play, would strum his guitar, and I wouldn't really like it. But when you would play some kind of flamenco kind of stuff, I would I would be really happy. So when did you start playing? When did you start to learn? Playing uh, at, when I was six, but I singing. I have been. I've always sung all my life, and uh, I think the first time when I was on stage was around five singing some something. What, what were you singing? You weren't <clears throat> singing flamenco. Some kind of flamenco copy. I I just copied. I phonetically. I didn't speak Spanish, and I didn't have a flamenco teacher, but I copied the thing. And people, you know, when they see a, a kid doing something very enthusiastically, and when it sounds well, they they love it. But they don't really care what it is. So they didn't care. And also, they were Belgians, so they didn't care that it was not real Spanish. But, but at that, that time, you were having guitar lessons, I imagine. When I was six, from, from the age of six, I, Kuhn, the coater, one of my... Dad's colleagues showed me the first two chords, and then my dad showed me two others, and then I was off. <laughs> so where did all the other influences come from? Where did the after flamenco? How did you uh, uh, move over to um, to Eastern European gypsy music? Well, um, let's say that when I was nine, I started collecting all kinds of instruments, flutes and drums, and from all over the world, people would, you know, travel and they would bring something and tapes of music. Turkish, Indian, uh, South American. Then I met a lady who was playing a lot of Bolivian and Peruvian instruments, and and who who knew that music very well. And I played. I started playing in a band with them. I started playing in a New Orleans band. Blah 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 blah. At a certain point, I really started. Re- I started realizing about this flamenco and what is real flamenco and what is not real flamenco. And I started slowly despising the not real flamenco. You mean the tourist flamenco? Yeah. Until I started realizing myself that what I was doing was also not the real flamenco because I was only copying and I didn't even speak Spanish. So I had to, I had to, if I wanted to be true to my word, I had to stop doing that or go to Spain and, and, and learn. And how old were you then? Twelve. So then I I was like, okay, yeah, I can't go to Spain because I'm too small and I'm, you know, and there's no teachers here in Belgium. So I have to stop. So I, I just took, I, I changed my flamenco guitar for a Django Reinhardt guitar and started playing with the family band. And then I started playing clarinet, double bass, 
Um, and then I just worked and worked and learned a lot from many, many people. And uh, then when I was 17 only, I started playing the violin, so very late. And then I guess thanks to the violin, I went, uh, went into Eastern European music. Also because the Manus, they like Hungarian kind of music, but they don't really know how it works. And you have to speak Hungarian anyway to, to be able to play it properly. So that's when I started learning Hungarian, etc. It's a long story. It's, and I mean, there's many layers and many... So, so from where I, where I gather, what you're, what you're playing is it's not only individual pieces, which are some flamenco, some um, uh, gypsy or whatever, but there is, it seems to be a sort of mixture as well. They all come together. Because, well, because you compose as well, don't you? I do, yeah. That's, and that's the, that's the best way to to actually make influences cross and and make it into a new thing because mm. i'm not so much a fan of what they call fusion and stuff where you just kind of put one layer on top of another and like not really inter inter it's when you really compose that you really make uh <clears throat> how do that you interweave things that, i don't yeah, know yeah. what the yeah, word yeah. would be in english yeah, yeah, but interweave, yeah that you really make a new tissue there's something that didn't exist before mm. otherwise you just uh, you pose you put something superimpose on, superimpose something and that's not i mean that's fun to do mm. it's fun to do but to listen to or to really study it's more interesting to really compose mm. i think because i think you compose not only for uh, for concerts but you compose for dance and the film theatre. I've just done. General? I've done a little bit of that. I'm not the real composer. I I, th I think, for the moment, I have a ten or twelve. I don't really remember compositions that are kind of that would be ready to be played. Although some of them don't have a name or a version that I think that's the way it should be played. So I'm not. I'm not a real. I haven't composed anything since a couple of years now. Ah. It's just kind of. Sometimes it happens, and then I work on it until I think it's finished. It's like a, <clears throat> I always call it like a, when you have a boulder in the river, and it, in the end it becomes all nice and smooth and round. Uh. <laughs> that's, that's my composing. I never... Do you it, want to be smooth and round, or do you want to be rough and rugged? I want to be smooth and round, or how to say, <laughs> um, smooth, and, smooth and round, and if it... If it's rough and something, then it has to be chosen. It has to be that that is, has to be a conscious decision, and then you leave those spots as they are because that's how you like it. But I, it has to be thought of. It has to be thought over a long time before it's ready. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that will do, Charlie Mbola. Thanks very, Thank much, you very indeed. much. Pleasure. Pleasure. I've now taken my seat in the main hall of the Lourdes Kirk, where the concert is about to start, and Sandro is on stage, just about to introduce the band.
Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot NL. Arts Talk magazine, dot NL. That was Belgian gypsy jazz musician Charles Limburger playing at the Castle Lord session. For me, it was a great surprise to learn that the great English painter George Stubbs was virtually unknown in the Netherlands, so it'll be interesting to see how the current exhibition in The Hague will be received. Zoe Baus met up with art historian Wendy Fossen, who gave us some of the story of this important 17th century painter. Wendy, uh, you're joining us today on Arts Talk Radio from Casa del Arte, and you've just been telling me about an exhibition in the Maurits House here in The Hague, uh, by a very famous English painter, George Stubbs. Yeah, exactly. Now, what is what is so special about this man, for those um, of us who don't know? Well, he is Britain's most famous horse portraitist. Uh, he lived in the 18th century, and, um, of course, the Maurits House is a 17th century art museum, so the link is stretching it a bit, but what we have in common is that, of course, we also have a lot of um, animal painters and paintings uh, and they were also especially Dutch art in general was very popular in the 18th century in England uh, so therefore there was a link between our collection and the work of Stubbs um, who is famous for a huge painting uh, whistle jacket and that is the, the unique thing about this exhibition not only that we focus on George Stubbs somebody who has never been exhibited in the Netherlands before but also that we have Whistlejacket, this huge painting uh, which has never left the UK before to go to mainland Europe. So therefore, uh, it is quite an exceptional thing that we have the painting and, here. And it is a massive painting, isn't it? Is it is like three, four metres Wow, yes, I'm, I'm looking at a picture of it now. Oh, it's a beautiful horse. Yes, yes. Uh, so obviously for any horse lovers or animal lovers, this is a must. Definitely, and, and especially the horse lovers, because um, Stubbs was not only famous for his horses, but that brought him fame, and he that is what we think about when we think about George Stubbs. But he also painted other animals. He's uh, very famous for his animal paintings. He set out also as a portraitist, but in order to earn some money. Uh, but he had this thing about anatomy, and uh, he decided in the late uh, 1750s to single-handedly dissect 12 horses. These horses didn't die of old age. They were old, but they were killed, especially for his for the study, purpose. for the purpose. And in 18 months' time, he stripped these 12 horses, seven, six, seven weeks per horse, and he drew exactly what he saw. So he had this whole installation in order to do this, so he kind of put them up against the ceiling. He hung them. He hung them, um, but in such a way that it looked all very natural, and then he stripped them one layer at the time, and every time he stripped off a layer, he 
drew and he recorded what he saw and what eventually resulting in the anatomy of a a horse uh, which is a book which he published in 1766 and that was the most important book about horse anatomy at the time. The oldest one, the previous one, was already 200 years old. And that study, that's why it's also the subtitle of the exhibition is The Man, the Horse, the Obsession. And he was obsessed with getting it right. So the only way to do so was this anatomical study. I think you must be obsessed to, to do what he to did. To do what he did, exactly. And yeah. also because you explained to me that he, he wasn't a vet, he had no real medical no, training, in fact... No. His father was a was a leather yeah. leather worker. Yeah, yeah. So for some for some reason he got he got the interest to create something like this or this interest for uh, anatomy. He 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 went to, to to a hospital where he was actually asked to do like human anatomy. So we have drawings of that as well, but he didn't think they were that good. So therefore he never signed those. But that probably gave him the idea to create this book of which there are two examples in the exhibition. And yeah, it's amazing what he then does with the paintings of living horses. Yes, of course that must have benefited Extremely, extremely, because creating an equestrian portrait wasn't something new, but you know that the the Brits loved their horses, so the horse racing is something that became extremely popular in the 18th century. Um, But he wasn't the first painter of horses, but what distinguishes him from his predecessors is this accuracy of what a horse looks like. And that is something that, that... distinguishes him from his predecessors and contemporaries. And now this puts me in mind of, and and you mentioned this just now, of Leonardo da Vinci, who we know was fascinated by the human body and who did in fact dissect human bodies in an effort to get to grips. And so you mentioned that uh, George Tubbs had a a special sort of nickname. Yeah, Liverpudlian Leonardo. Yeah, so that's, you know, apart from the the anatomy, they don't have anything in common, of course. But the fact that they were so much focused on, like I said, the obsession with getting it right, that's something that he shared with Leonardo. And actually, Leonardo did dissect horses as well. But of course, we know him much more about his his, um, human anatomy. So, yeah, this guy from Liverpool, Pool actually got this nickname, and I don't know anything about horses. I'm not one of those girls who spent their youth in in the, um, the stables. The stables, but it is very impressive what he creates. Yeah. Well, I I mean I'm a horse fan myself, so. I look forward to to that exhibition. And when is that running until? Uh, It just opened. So it's still, I think, beginning of June. We have time. Yeah, we still have time. Okay. Wendy Fossen from Casa del Arte, thank you so much for joining us today on Arts Talk Radio. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. Well, doesn't time fly? That's the end of another edition of Arts Talk Radio. We'll be back in a week or so, hopefully with lots more interesting people to talk to. If you have any comments, please leave them in the box below. We're always going to be pleased to hear from you. My name is Michael Hasted, and so till the next time, it's goodbye. Goodbye.